0: Good morning. The first um, reading comes from Numbers chapter 21. From Mount Horeb the Israelites set out, but the people became impatient on the way. This people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? for there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. People came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God.
1: I invite you to stand as we read the gospel from John. From the third chapter, Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness Please be seated. Today we are celebrating as Holy Cross Day. Not all Lutheran churches celebrate this day. Uh, the actual day I think was yesterday, but I appropriated it and shoved it over a day so we could celebrate it this morning. I think it's good every now and then to Take a look at and to remember why we have this cross, why the cross has become our central symbol in worship, and indeed why it should be our central symbol in worship. It was certainly not a foregone conclusion, and indeed there were a lot of pressures in the early church not to have the cross as a symbol. It's worth remembering that our faith was born out of almost unspeakable trauma. That it grew out of a gruesome execution, not an unusual form of execution, but no less gruesome for it the cross was a form of execution that was reserved for the lowest classes. It was the way slaves were punished. Indeed, when, um, if any of you have ever seen the old movie Spartacus or or watched the series, uh, Spartacus led a slave rebellion against Rome. And when the Uh, rebellion was put down, the Romans crucified the slaves that had been involved in the rebellion and lined up the crosses all along the Appian Way leading into Rome so that anyone traveling by this highway would get the message. The cross was designed to send a message which was If you are a slave, stay in your place. This is what happens to those who oppose the power of Rome. It was such a shameful way to be dispatched that the upper classes wouldn't even talk about it. They would never see it if it was at all possible to avoid. It was shameful to even bring it up in conversation. And so the fact that Jesus had been crucified was the biggest, baddest possible nail they could possibly put in the coffin of any messianic hopes That there might have been. After Easter morning, though, some of those followers of Jesus dared to hope that maybe this was indeed the Messiah, and they began to gather together to worship and to remember what had happened. But the shamefulness of that cross was such that they tried to avoid any kind of symbolism such that the early church fathers, when they were looking around for symbols that might be appropriate to represent Christianity, came up with things like an anchor, a lamb, a shepherd, a lyre, like a little harp uh, in remembrance of the story of Orpheus that had so many similarities to what they believed about Jesus. Tertullian liked the image of the fish, the ichthus, reasoning that if Christ is the big fish, we are the little fish, and we are birthed in the water of baptism, and we have to live our lives in connection with that water of baptism if we are to remain alive. But all the while that they were debating these other images, somehow the cross started to take hold. It took hold among the early writers in the sense that one of the earliest ways, the earliest pictorial ways of depicting uh Christ was in what was called the starogram. It was a shorthand way of, of writing Christ, which was this, uh, the Greek letter row over a cross, symbolic of the crucified one. And those first Christians, when they started to gather together into communities when it was still unsafe to be identified as a Christian, would identify themselves to each other by quietly making the sign of the cross or somehow showing the cross in some manner that other Christians would recognize it. How odd that they would latch on to this gruesome Means of execution and hold on to that over all these other possible images as the central image. There is a wonderful series of medieval legends called the Legends of the Rude. Rude comes from the same root as rod, meaning the, the, the wood. And it tells of Adam. After Adam and Eve were driven out of the, uh, the garden, after they had received the curse from God and were cut off from life, as Adam left the garden. Legend had it that he was promised by God a token of mercy. And as Adam neared the end of his life, worn down from the hardships of living, he sent his son Seth back to the Garden of Eden. Because he had not yet received that token of mercy. And so he told Seth to go and ask for it. And Seth met the guard the, the angel who had been set to guard the entrance to Eden. And when the angel heard the request, he gave Seth an apple seed, a seed from the tree by which Adam and Eve had been cursed and he told him that although adam had to die such was his fate that when he did die to take that seed and to place it under his tongue before being buried and then when adam was buried the the seed took root and grew and became a tree over his grave Then the legend goes on to recount how this miraculous tree intersected with the lives of people down through the ages. How Moses had encountered this tree and out of one of its branches made the staff on which the golden serpent was raised up. How another branch had become the rod of Aaron that miraculously sprouted. David was said to have come across the tree and and dug it up and transplanted it over by his palace where it was found by Solomon who cut it down to make the the central beam for uh, for the temple. Except that the wood showed a stubborn persistence in not being the correct length. They'd measure it and cut it and it would be too short. They'd measure it and cut it again and it would be too long. Refusing to become that central beam until finally out of disgust, they made a bridge out of it. Out of which we are told the queen of Sheba crossed over and in doing so prophesied about the coming of a messiah. We're told that it was, at some point, thrown into the pool of Bethesda, where it gave the waters healing properties. And when Jesus had been tried and condemned, it miraculously floats to the surface where it is found and used to form his cross. It's a wonderful and fanciful set of legends, but the remarkable thing about it to me is that the cross becomes this symbol that is used to connect history, to connect the beginning with the crucifixion of Jesus, and then onward from there, the cross, rather than anything else. And it makes me wonder why. One of the things I discovered in reading for this Sunday was that the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Church have different views on the cross. In the Western Church, of which we are part, we tend to see the cross as the low point of Christ's existence, at that moment when Christ is most humiliated and powerless, where Christ becomes the Paschal Lamb, going silently to execution. And in that understanding, Jesus becomes the victim, God becomes the judge, and we become Witnesses or worse, executioners. And in Western depictions of the crucifixion, when the cross is shown, there's usually that plaque over Jesus' head on which are four letters I-N-R-I, which stand for Jesus Nazarene Rex Iuda, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But in Eastern depictions, king of the Jews is replaced by king of glory. An allusion to the 24th Psalm where it says, Who is this king of glory? The one who is strong and mighty. The king of glory, mighty in battle. Far from being victim, Jesus is seen as a warrior who climbs up on the cross and there does battle. It's interesting that Paul, as you heard today, when he talks about the cross, he talks about how it is foolishness, how it is a stumbling block, a scandal, and yet he then doubles down on it, as if to say, and yet this is precisely what this is all about. As Ruth has been going through cancer treatments, one of the things that I find myself thinking about a lot is you know, how I can support her. And I sometimes hear in other people's accounts the language of, of walking with someone on their journey, accompanying them. And yet one of the things that I realized early on is that I can't accompany her on that journey. I don't know what it's like to be poisoned with chemotherapy. I don't know what it's like to be cut in surgery. I don't know what it's like to be burned with radiation. And the only one who really can accompany on that journey is cancer itself. Cancer is the only other living entity that accompanies her through all those things. All I can do is wait with anxious heart and hope that she is stronger than the cancer. Two go into this dark valley and I pray that the white one emerges. And by the same token the cross becomes that place where Christ and death both go up onto the cross and we wait to see which one will be stronger, which one will emerge. And we get our answer on Easter Sunday. I think another reason why the cross ends up being appropriated and held on to by Christians is because it's the place where god and humanity meet i can't work miracles like jesus could i don't have the kind of wisdom that that jesus showed I don't have the ability through my words and actions and just presence to bring the kingdom of God into being. But the one thing I do know is what it's like to suffer and what it's like to die. That is built into the DNA of being mortal. And that is the one place where I can meet Christ And know that God has indeed become one with us, become incarnated in us. The cross is really the only God I can know as truly mortal, as truly human. And so it's at the cross that I meet the God who can speak to those dark corners, those dead ends, those broken hearts, those fears of death, those disappointments and anxieties. The cross is where I find them. One other little legend about the cross is that Supposedly after the crucifixion, it was tossed into a dry well where some years later, St. Helena is said to have discovered it, thus Holy Cross Day. Interestingly though, there's no day in the church calendar for when they discovered Christ's tomb. There's no day in the church calendar for when they discovered where Jesus was born. There's no other observation except for the finding of the cross and what that meant. And legend holds that when the cross was found, basil grew over the ground where it was. And so I have some fresh basil here. And I invite you at the end of the service just to grab a few leaves and take it home with you. You can rub it on your hands and have that smell of basil all day with you or put it into some cooking and and taste it. One way or another, though, let it be a reminder of how the cross endures with us now as both a sign of humility and that the kingdom of God is always bubbling up from the bottom and a sign of power and glory in that in this sign Christ conquers death and therefore brings life eternal to all of us.
0: Amen.